The psalmist said, I rejoiced with those who said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. And there is joy in this place, friends. I'm excited to be here. Uh, Thank you for having me here at North Cross. And uh, I'm from a church called Amazing Love, and uh, I make it a mission so that other people see his incredible love. Because the journey of faith is this. We have yet to figure out just how wide and long, how deep and high is that love. But we're going to investigate today. It's the journey of faith. With that, would you pray with me? Let's ask God to bless the preaching of the word. Heavenly Father, I just thank you for these moments where we get to block out everything else and just fall at your feet and hear your voice. And now may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, for you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Let's start this morning with a question, and the question is this. Have you ever thought the world revolves around you, and if so, what evidence do you have? Now, I have to confess, and this probably sounds a little bit narcissistic, that sometimes I believe this. For example, when I was in grade school, fourth grade, the American Lung Society pinned their hopes on me and our classmates to make a smoke-free society. We were given these yellow shirts, and we were given a jingle. <laughs> we are the smoke-free class of 2002, triple zero. Everyone's a hero. Of course I am, yeah. Now, that didn't exactly work, though. But it hasn't stopped making me think that the world revolves around me. I remember thinking of this spiritually. I was born on Palm Sunday and baptized on Easter. I remember being in the middle of a thunderstorm, and I I thought that God was telling me he was going to return in my lifetime. And and why wouldn't he? I mean, everything revolves around me. No, I don't actually know that, by the way. I have more evidence. When I was in seminary, we took a choir trip to California. And our whole choir went to the prices, right? And guess who got called up that day? Yeah, that's me. (laughs) A little younger then, skinnier too. Um, And and there I used God's number. That was the winning bid that day because we're in cahoots, right? I won lawn tools and a bedroom set, and why not? Because the world revolves around me. I was still wondering the other day if the world revolves around me, and I tested it again, and uh, New Lennox was opening a Raising Canes. And uh, if you have a teenager, you know Raising Canes. And, uh, and, and I went for the grand opening, and, and look what happened. I won free Raising Canes for a year. Yeah, yeah. So if you want to come for lunch, here we go. And if none of this has convinced you that the world revolves around me, I have my final and greatest proof. Pastor Ben is my older brother. Grace upon grace upon grace. I tell you. (laughs) So, yeah. Now, as I've been bringing up my story, do you remember a time maybe that you were thinking the world revolves around you? Do you have a a moment? Like like for you, maybe you graduated from college and you landed your dream job and, and, and you had worked so hard and finally you were there. Finally you had made it. Maybe some of you uh, remember getting married and when that dream spouse finally said, I do, oh man, this, this is the day all the stars were aligned just for you. Maybe for you it was buying a house and when they handed you the keys and you stepped over the threshold, you're like, oh man, this is perfect, it's all about me. Now what I also recognize is that you might have come in this morning to North Cross not feeling that way at all. Some of you might have come in with with some real problems, um, real heavy issues, and and you're like, I just wish something would revolve around me, like if anything would go my way, like I I totally get that, and I've been there too. But still there's a premise to the book and a premise I'd like to prove this morning, 
And the premise is the first fill-in, it's right here, that I think we're all pre-programmed to think, it's all about me. So let me do some work to prove my premise. Narcissist. Have you heard this word before? I might be super old, but I didn't grow up with this word. I heard arrogant and selfish and egotistical, but narcissist, that, that's been kind of new to me. Uh, so I wanted to kick it old school and get a definition from Merriam-Webster. And, um, and the definition of narcissist is right here. It's an extremely self-centered person who has an exaggerated sense of self-importance. May I ask, do you know a narcissist who comes to mind? And what I found is that narcissists are not novel. They're not like mystical unicorns that if I look hard enough, maybe I'll find one. No, narcissists are way too common. You know, history is filled with narcissists. Nero was a narcissist. History books tell us that while Rome was burning, he was playing a fiddle because he was excited to build for himself a bigger palace and a statue of himself 10 feet tall. That's Nero. Hitler was a narcissist. He thought he was part of a superior race. And we know the horror of where those thoughts led. Genghis Khan, a narcissist. So many wives, so many concubines that today 16 million men can trace their ancestry back to Genghis Khan. He is credited for 0.5% of the entire male population. Wow. It's all about him. Okay, it's easy to talk about other people, right? You ever listen to a sermon and be like, oh, they really need to hear this one. (laughs) But you know, that's not the point of listening to a message, right? So what about us? I have a quick narcissist test. There are three questions in my test, and let's see if you pass them. Number one, you're at the grocery store. You're checking out. You try to pick the quickest line, and how do you feel when you recognize you picked the slow line? How do you feel when the checkout person has the flashing light above their checkout counter and they're calling for product information? Number two, when you post a picture on social media, I have an example of said picture, uh, do you post one that makes you look good, like, like the father looks all right? Or does it make everyone else look good? And by the way, when you post a picture, did you even check the faces of the other people as you were posting that picture? Like, you just check that out. Like, maybe they weren't having a good hair day, right? All right, number three is my clincher. Someone cuts you off while you're driving. Is your knee-jerk reaction, well, of course, just go on by. I'm sure where you're going is way more important than where I'm going. (laughs) Or, by chance, does your blood start to boil and you think of ways to get revenge and you're like, no, I'm a Christian. I got the fish on the back. I'm not going to do it. but it's hard. So so we can all relate to this, can't we? We're all pre-programmed to think it's all about me. And if you've ever been there, you're not alone. In fact, the disciples of Jesus experienced this more than one time. And so let's turn to God's word today and talk about the disciples. So it's interesting that the disciples would argue about who would be the greatest. This was a common conversation among the twelve. And one of the more striking conversations happened on Monday, Thursday. And this is just unreal. It's uncanny. Jesus had just bent down and washed their feet. Like he takes the lowest position possible. And his clincher after washing stinky feet was, do as I have done. That's what he said. 
And moments later, scripture records that they're arguing over who's the greatest. Oh my goodness, did they miss the point. In our lesson today, we have two of the brothers, James and John. (laughs) And they even bring their mother along like, okay, you don't listen to us, Jesus. Listen to my mom, right? And they're looking for the two top spots in heaven. They want to claim them for their very own, the two positions of power for all eternity. And so we're going to learn from this. We're going to learn what Jesus said to them and a better way to live. So let's get into God's word. I love hearing his voice. Matthew chapter 20. Here it's recorded. Then the mother of Zebedee's sons came to Jesus with her sons and kneeling down asked a favor of him. What is it you want? He asked. She said, grant that one of these two sons of mine may sit at your right and the other at your left in your kingdom. You don't know what you're asking, Jesus said to them. Can you drink the cup I'm going to drink? Well, we can, they answered. Jesus said to them, you will indeed drink from my cup, which, by the way, is not what they were expecting. That is probably a reference to the fact that they will die for the faith, just like Jesus did. But to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those who have been prepared by my father. When the ten heard about this, they were indignant with the two brothers. Jesus called them together and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. These are the powerful words we get to unpack in our time. Uh, Do you mind participating a little bit? I'm going to continue anyway. Uh, (laughs) Could you say out louder to your neighbor, it's not about me. It's not about me. Thank you so much. So who has my vote for the greatest quarterback of all time is Kirk, I mean Tom Brady. Tom Brady. (laughs) Uh, He's won seven Super Bowls, five Super Bowl MVPs. He won with New England and Tampa Bay. Um, And and we look at his success and we say, man, I'd love to have that kind of success. I'd love to make it that way. People know my name, accomplish my dreams, my activities. And and we even sometimes think about how that would feel. Like if I finally made it to that prime position where the world is revolving around me, I finally did it. What's interesting is what Tom Brady said after winning another Super Bowl. A memorable statement is this, that he's on record saying, why do I have these Super Bowl rings and still think there's something out there greater? There's got to be more than this. Well, that's not a one-off. Jim Carrey, famous actor, uh, pretty famous comedian, when when he made to to the Hollywood elite, when when he was on top, uh, this is a phrase that he was known for saying. He said, I hope that everyone could get rich and famous, And will have everything they ever dreamed of, so they will know that it's not the answer. That's so important to hear. Because sometimes in our pursuits, we feel if we make it about ourselves and accomplish our dreams, it's going to truly scratch that itch and satisfy. And here we have two people saying, you know what, it didn't. And then we look to the word of God, and there's a man named Solomon You can read his story in the book of Ecclesiastes and talk about success, talk about fame, talk about wealth. He had it all in spades. He built an ancient wonder of the world. Other celebrities like the Queen of Sheba would come to hear this celebrity talk and was wowed by his wisdom. He did incredible things 
The kingdom was so wealthy that silver was common. In reflection, at the end of his life, this, this was his words about what he had done. He said, when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless. A chasing after the wind, nothing was gained under the sun. Tom Brady, Jim Carrey, Solomon, they tell us about a life that's all about ourselves. And it's our next fill-in. That living a life that's all about me and what I'm going to get and my success winds up to be meaningless. You know, perspective can be found when you consider what's going to be said at your eulogy. Have you ever thought of that? I want you to envision that just a little bit. What's going to be said? And if all people talk about was career success, if they mention your humor or your hospitality, if they mention how good of a parent you were, but they don't have any mention of God, I need to remind you that in a hundred years, no one's going to know our names. But may they always know the name of Jesus. It is his name that matters. And here's the secret to life. To the degree we wrap up our story with his story is the degree that we make our story matter. Ours is to leverage everything. Our talents, our abilities, our platforms to say, God, you deserve all of this and more. I must decrease so that you can increase. May they know your name for yours is the only name that saves. And that's our opportunity. But, but beyond me living a meaningless life, there, there's something more that happens when we're just pursuing ourselves. And we saw it in the lesson. So James and John had their plan to go to Jesus. And, and they wanted the two top spots. And, and did you see the reaction of the other ten? How they felt about James and John's pursuit? So they have to come back and they have to hear from the, the ten. And, and when the ten heard about it, they, they were indignant with the two brothers. It made them mad. You cut us off on the way to eternal glory. You were taking the spots and called shotgun on the two top spots in heaven. We are upset. We wanted them. It's interesting how as much as time goes on, the world doesn't change. There's nothing new under the sun. For we still see this, don't we? We still experience it. People in reckless abandon pursuing themselves, not caring about the wake of hurt all around them. They don't even have a lens to see it. They get what they want regardless of the consequences, regardless of who they have to step on. They scrape and they claw. And man, is there a wake of hurt when people live selfishly, when we live all for ourselves. It takes our vision off those around us. In fact, friends, I struggle with this too. And every now and then an important question to ask is this, am I pursuing something that's really good for me but not good for others? Man, I wish God would give you wisdom about that. Is there something I'm going after with reckless abandon that may mean really, really good for me, but for everyone around me, I'm just hurting people. Let's pause and reflect at our pursuits because the next thing we learn is that a life that's all about me, it's, it's dangerous. It hurts people. And that's what we see historically, that those in power... Absolute power corrupts absolutely. That, that your position was used sometimes to take advantage of people. And Jesus called this out. He said, you know, those with authority, they lord it over others. And they exercise authority. Not so with you. But there's another reason this is dangerous spiritually. And it has to do with also our spiritual pre-programming. 
so uh, Matt and Ben and I all went to the same seminary, and uh, I was under Dean Brenner, and a great guy, um, but he was the type of teacher who really believed that repetition is the mother of learning. And so he came back over and over and over to this one principle called the opinio legis, which is Latin for the opinion of the law. And he described that we're all pre-programmed to think that our opinion of the law is we can keep the law. That's everyone's opinion. We can keep the law, and by keeping the law, that's how we get good with God. And the age-old lie is this, that good people go to heaven. And you think of our spiritual pre-programming, the opinion of legacy, and then our selfish, narcissistic tendencies, and they marry each other. And, and so, so Christians can even think, you know what? Um, look how good I am. I, I am good with God. I don't worry about heaven because, come on, I got it all together. If other people were just a little bit more like me, the world would be a better place. But good people going to heaven. There's not a more dangerous spiritual thought. It's contrary to the gospel. There's no life there. There's no peace there. It breeds hypocrisy and doubt. And so God enters in and he, he levels us. He gets us all on the same playing field. In Romans 3, he says these words. He said, all... All means all, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you're rich or poor. It doesn't matter if you're old or young, male or female. It doesn't matter where you live. See, we all have this in common. We've all failed to be good enough. And every one of us stand as sinners in need of God's mercy. If God doesn't have mercy, if he doesn't have grace, we're lost but he does. And I'm here to tell you, God loves you even more than you know right now. He's going to treat you for the rest of your life better than your sins deserve. And because Jesus emptied himself and made the world not about him, you have forgiveness for all sin. It doesn't matter if you were selfish this past week. You have a clean slate and a fresh start to give him glory. Yes, he has mercy for us. I love how, uh, how Jesus uh, was pictured in, in Philippians. Um, he is the God who, who didn't even use his Godhead as an advantage. I loved how it was said in our lesson that, you know, Jesus was the one who didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for all. And now we get a pause, and this is what I'm really excited to dwell in, is to dwell in what he's done and how we can uh, live differently going forward. So, so as we continue, I want to talk a little bit about Christmas. I have a slide about Christmas if you want to put that up here. Um, anyone excited for Christmas? Yeah, yeah. I have a daughter at home who, if I would let her, would put out the Christmas decorations right now. That's how much she loves Christmas. And there's so much to enjoy, right? Um, there, there are the decorations. Uh, for kids, there are the presents, and that's, that's a lot of fun. Uh, there's good food, and sometimes there's performances. Um, for me, I like Mariah Carey and that song that plays like every two hours, All I Want for Christmas is You. Um, she's, in, she's coming to Chicago if you want to go to the concert. And Christmas is so great that we have a, a saying. We, we say in America, it's the most wonderful time of the year. And maybe there are some of you that think that way. I can't wait for the most wonderful time of the year. But when's the last time you looked at the Christmas story through the lens 
of Jesus. Oof. So Jesus was in heaven. All praise, all power, all comfort, all authority, all of that. And now at Christmas, the creator becomes creation. He is nursed and changed by his own creation named Mary. How humbling. The king of kings does not pick out a five-star resort. Rather, he picks out a peasant's household. No fine linens and luxurious touches. No, the stench of animals and the scratch of hay. When Jesus comes into this world, the world has a seething hate for him. Herod wants to kill anyone like him two years and younger. When he starts his ministry, most people misunderstand him. Others want to manipulate him for their own means. And it culminates in a crowd yelling, crucify. The most wonderful time of the year is wonderful for us. But it was hard for him. See, Jesus coming to earth shouldn't be like someone being sent out on an incredible, great like experience, it should be compared to like D-Day and storming Normandy Beach because Christmas meant war for Jesus. You know, to kind of get in that mainframe, uh, it kind of reminds me of, of being on vacation. I don't know, uh, how many of you ever gone to like Hawaii and stayed at a five-star resort? I want you to get your minds there. If you've ever been, you know that good customer service, they make you feel like family and they anticipate your every need. You go to the pool and they have a towel ready and, and do you forget suntan lotion? We got some. And when it's hot in the middle of the day, they come around with smoothies and frozen grapes. You ever have frozen grapes at the pool? Oh, it's great. And then you rent cars. You're in Hawaii and you're surprised to get upgraded to a Mustang. Ooh, that's fun. Then you go out to eat. Yeah, we're going to do surf and turf tonight, babe. It's vacation. And when you leave vacation, everything feels worse, doesn't it? <laughs> you get back into your car, which is much older and ugly and uncomfortable. You're just hoping it's going to get back from the airport. You go to work and your employees, your coworkers, they are not like the pool attendants. <laughs> they don't care. You pack a sack lunch of PB&J and you're, you're, you're still mouthwatering over the surf and turf. You're like, oh, well, this is what I got. If you've had that experience at all, if you can relate to that at all, you are now seeing what Jesus did for you. See, Jesus had all power and all glory and all comfort and all praise, and he gives it up. Theologians call his period of setting his power aside his humiliation. And yet because he did this, he saved us. And so our next fill-in, I truly believe Jesus lived a life that said very differently than our society, differently than how we're programmed. He lived a life that said, it's not about me. This is perhaps most beautifully put in Philippians chapter two. And some of you Christians know this from Philippians. It says, who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to use to his own advantage. So even though he was divine, he didn't take advantages of his divine nature. He didn't do that. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. And sometimes I like to pause and just think like, what if Jesus lived like an American? What if one day he just woke up, you know, I'm just going to do me. And my heavenly father just said, you do you, boo. 
Like, what would that have been like? So, so imagine Jesus in his ministry, and he's tempted by the devil. And the devil says, throw yourself down. And Jesus is like, I'm not going to do this anymore. I'm going to live for me. And then he throws the devil down. Makes him worship him. You know, Jesus wasn't in front of the devil for himself. Or then I consider Herod. And Herod has the audacity to think that he's a puppet master pulling the strings and can make Jesus the puppet. puppet. Do some miracles, Jesus. Do that for me. If Jesus lived for himself, I would have loved for him to show Herod the end of time where he's returning on the clouds and Herod is bending the knee to the king of kings. But he wasn't in front of Herod for himself. Or on the cross. In that moment, that was like a dagger. The, the scoffer who shouts, he saved others, but he cannot save himself. What if he lived for himself in that moment? And he opened the ground so that it would swallow those scoffers. But he wasn't on the cross for himself. He was there for us. Because he loves us. And so what can we glean from all of this? What can we learn about Jesus' life? You know, in the Chicago area, there is this store. And it's built for a parent's sacrifice, but a child's joy. It's a store called the American Girl Doll Store. <laughs> and there is a target audience for this experience, and the adult male is not that target audience. <laughs> Sometimes the coworkers are so nice, they kind of give you empathy, like, Dad, don't worry, if you're lucky, it'll all be over soon. <laughs> but moms and their daughters, they have a ball. They go and they get the doll's hair done, and they put on a new dress. There's a special restaurant where there's this own chair for the doll, right? The doll's eating right next to me. But I got to tell you, I've been to the American Girl doll store. And by God's grace, I wanted to spend that money. You know why? I love my girls. I'd do anything for them. See, love wants to wow others by its expression. Love is willing to give beyond all reasonable measure. Love doesn't ask the cost. Love just enters in and tries to meet that need and create joy. So what do we learn about Jesus? By what he did. See, when Jesus comes to earth, he puts on a shock and awe campaign of the lengths of his love. We cannot know, we can't possibly know a love like his. It's the truest treasure in a world filled with transitory pleasure and fake goods. There's nothing like it. No American Girl doll, no Super Bowl ring, no promotion, no boathouse. Nothing can compare to the love of Jesus. For this is what the love of Jesus means. When you have the love of Jesus, it means you're never going to be alone. Because he will never leave you and he will never forsake you. When you have the love of Jesus, it means he doesn't waste your pain. He always uses it. Because we know not in some things, but in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. The love of Jesus means you do not have to build your life on the fleeting, failing love of others. The love of others who even in their best moments can't even give you a glimpse of God's love. The love of Jesus means we get a return to his plan. 
the plan when there is no more sin or mourning or crying or pain, where we walk with the Almighty God, when we finally fully know, just as we are fully known right now by Him. How incredible is that love? And so Jesus, as recorded by John, he, he loved us to the very end. He'd pay the final cost as he bled and he died in our place. And there is no greater love than one who would give his life for his friends. And what this means today is that for the rest of your life, you don't have to wonder if you matter. And you don't have to live in reckless abandon for yourself. The cross of Jesus proves that you matter and that you're worth it. He made everything about you to ransom you. But what if, friends, we didn't waste our life? What if from this moment we said, I'm sick of it. I'm sick of what society says and what my friends tell me to do and what my own heart tells me. I'm sick of wasting these moments that are a vapor and a mist and a shadow. I don't have much time to make much of him. And so what if we, with reckless abandon, pursued his glory and his fame and his renown and leveraged everything so that people would see him. That's the opportunity, friends. And now let me pray for you. May God give you strength to do this. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I'm just so thankful that we again had the opportunity to investigate the length of your love and (laughs) there's no one like you. You are the strength of our heart and our portion forever. When we have you, we have all we need. But Lord, we repent for all the times we didn't even see how we were hurting others in the pursuit of ourselves. We don't want to do it anymore. And so Holy Spirit, empower us and give us vision to glorify the name of our God and make an eternal difference as we live for you, as we show with our actions. It's not about me. It's always been about you and your glory. Lord, let it be in Jesus' name. Amen.